When he was 12, he went to the religious people. He spent the rest of his time with the tax collectors and sinners who were the outcasts of the religious culture. The common people heard him gladly. The religious people got him crucified. I have learned that the Spirit of God never works in the places that I think he ought to by my vision of what I see. It's tempting to try to tell God the best way for him to deal with people we know. We act like we know enough about that person to know what will bring them to the foot of the cross and repentance. Pastor Daniel will be teaching us how wrong we are about that. He will remind us of God's all-knowing nature through the story of Abraham's lying to someone important and what happened in their lives as a result of the falsehood. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 20 as he continues his message called Isaac. So look at what happens in verse 6. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. God desires restoration. God knows our hearts. And God said, look, I know that you didn't know, and I also withheld you from touching her. I kept you from her. Now, I read that, I'm like, I wonder how God did that. And there's all sorts of theories that float around that I won't bore you with, but it's kind of a fascinating thing. But notice, even though Abimelech didn't know, even though he didn't touch her, God has a plan still. Restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. Ah, do you see this? Forgiveness for Abimelech's transgression comes through the hands of a mediator. He's saying, look, I want you to change your action. That is textbook repentance, making a new decision, making a new action. You took her to be yours. Now I want you to restore her back to her husband. And he's a prophet, and he's going to pray for you, and you're going to live. This is a picture again. Like with Sodom before the Lord, Abraham is functioning as a mediator, just like Jesus, making intercession now. And it's interesting, in this case, the intercession is coming from the person who actually wronged Abimelech. But we have to realize that part of God's plan for the people of God is that we function in a mediatorial fashion with the world, as Jesus did. When you read the word church in the Gospels, you find in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, only two times Jesus used that Greek word ekklesia, which means a called out assembly. Now think about this. Every time Jesus says something in the effect of whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And people struggle with that. When was the last time you heard a church talk like that? 
Almost never, unless you've been involved in a cult. Because cults use this concept of the mediatorial function of the people of God in the world to say, well, listen, if I bind you to Jesus as the pastor or the cult leader, then you are good. And if I excommunicate you, you are bad. And the church has used it as a way to control people. And what's unfortunate is because it's functioned that way historically, we almost never hear about it. But every time... Jesus uses the word church. He uses the same phrase. Whatever we bind on earth, we bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. And what that teaches us is like Abraham, like Jesus, we are meant to be the body of Christ and function mediatorially in the world. Now, Jesus died on the cross and rose again, but our job is to be ambassadors of that message, to walk in the light as he is in the light, to help people understand what God expects, who God is, what God values. And when you think about that, that is not an opportunity for privileged judgment to arbitrarily say this and that is what's important to God, but it's a weighty responsibility for us, isn't it? When you think about the ambassador to the United States as he sits in the United Nations, that man or woman's job is to speak for the entire nation. And they better do a good job, right? And you and I, as the children of God, because of our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, we have to make sure that we are functioning as mediators for people who are outside Jesus to the truth of who God is and what he values. That should really cause us to say, Holy Spirit, what is my life looking like? What is the fragrance of my life? Do I show forth your love? Do I let people know realistically that no matter what they've done, if they put their faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, that they will be forgiven? Or do I put forth some sort of, some version of God that is really just me? I think it was Nietzsche who said, God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. We want us and our values to be God and God's values. We want to conform God into our image when we should be letting him conform us into his image. But I love this. God says, look, Abraham's a prophet. He's going to pray for you and you are going to live. But notice, if you don't restore her, this is the middle of verse 7, know that you will surely die and all that are yours. Wow. I mean, God shoots it straight for Abimelech, doesn't he? He's like, look, amend your ways and you will live. Don't and you will die. And everyone around you will die too. That's some strong counsel from a loving God. In verse 8, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you? That you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, because I thought 
Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever you go, say of me, he is my brother. You got to love Abimelech. Simple and immediate obedience. He rose up early. He called all of his servants, all the people of his kingdom, said, look, this is what's going on. Everybody was afraid. Then he calls Abraham, and he confronts him. How have I offended you, he says, that you have brought this great sin on my kingdom? What you have done to me ought not to have been done. He calls him out. And then Abraham gives his reasons why. He's like, look, in verse 11, the fear of God's not in this place. I thought to myself, there's just no way these guys fear God. In effect, he said, you guys are a bunch of pagans. He didn't expect that God could be at work in this place. You think about this. So many of us don't expect that God can work in places that we think are really nasty. I mean, Jesus, when he was 12, he went to the religious people. He spent the rest of his time with the tax collectors and sinners who were the outcasts of the religious culture. The common people heard him gladly. The religious people got him crucified. I have learned that the Spirit of God never works in the places that I think he ought to by my vision of what I see. When God really got a hold of my life, I was living in Southern Oregon. I was moving down to the Bay Area. The band that I was playing with had put out a bunch of albums, and we were starting to tour a lot. And we thought, you know, we need to get out of Southern Oregon. It's, we, I love living there, but you have to drive five hours to get to a major metropolitan center. And so we ended up down in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I ended up moving into a house. I wouldn't recommend it, but I, there was another guy and two women who lived there. I did it. I wouldn't recommend it. It wasn't a romantic thing, but that's a whole other discussion. You can ask me a question about that. I'd love to talk with you about cohabitating with people of the opposite sex who are not your family members or you're married to. It's an important discussion. But what ended up happening was, is God was working on my heart. I became really good friends with these two girls. God convicted me that I shouldn't be living with people of the opposite sex, even if it wasn't romantic. It just was not a healthy situation, and it has the appearance of evil. So I moved on out. But what was interesting is that one of the girls was very open to Jesus, and I was very happy to tell her about him. And she was very open, and she was just like, speak to me about Jesus. I've never heard these things. I grew up, I forget what she grew up, Lutheran or something. I never heard any of this stuff. And the other girl was very upset when we spoke about Jesus. Many times she's like, Daniel, if you don't change the subject, I am going to walk away. And I would change the subject for like five seconds. And I thought to myself, you know, this one gal, she's going to get saved. And the other one, I'm not so sure, Lord. So I focused on the one girl who was open. But you know what's amazing? The girl who was resistant got saved way sooner. And I learned a very valuable lesson that oftentimes when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that got hit. Oftentimes the peep, you like that, think about that. It was like the delayed reaction, like, oh, that's kind of funny. 
That's like a gift or something. But if you think about it, oftentimes we're the most scared of the people who bark the loudest when you share your faith with them. But if you think about it, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks is the one that got hit. Oftentimes the people who put up the biggest argument against the gospel are the people who are resisting the hardest. The apostle Paul is a perfect example. He was out killing Christians. There's no other Pharisees who were on that thing, but when he got saved, what did Jesus say to him? It's hard for you to kick against the goats. That's an old school saying. It really means it's hard to swim against the stream of the current. I am drawing you and you are trying to get away and that's a hard deal. You ever try and swim against the current? Not for long, right? That's hard. And oftentimes the people who seem to be the most resistant are the ones who are actually the spirit is really at work at. Now, I was blessed because both gals ended up getting saved. It's kind of cool. One girl's my sister-in-law now. How cool is that? Another one of those girls is a missionary in Iraq right now. I bring that up because I don't want us as God's kids to think that so-and-so is too far. You know, it's funny. When I got saved, if they had like a high school category most unlikely to become a Christian, I definitely would have been in that category. I had a friend who I played in a band with, and his sister had gotten radically saved and was going to a church a lot like Crossroads. You know, and I remember when I got saved, and I ran into her, she's like, I heard you're a Christian. I'm like, yeah. She's like, and you're a pastor. I'm like, ain't that crazy, you know? And I said to her, I'm like, why didn't you ever share with me? She said, I mean, if there's anybody who was a lost cause in our high school, it was definitely you. <laughs> and you guys are like, I can imagine that, you know? Don't we think that way sometimes? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your brother-in-law. Maybe it's a friend of yours who just seems so gung-ho in rebellion against God. Don't think that God's spirit cannot work in certain environments. Our job is not to make the seed blossom to harvest. Our job is just to scatter the seed, to share the good news, to love on people in Jesus' name. And God does the work. Oftentimes we neglect like Abraham. He's like, I thought the fear of God was in this place. And he was wrong. Because Abimelech got a dream, was terrified, told everybody about what was going on and said, Abraham, what are you doing to me? The fear of God was very much in this place. Because God was at work. God was working on Abimelech. It's interesting. He said, look, I didn't think you guys feared God. I knew that you'd be after me because of my wife. And notice in verse 12, he says, truly, she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Now, you hear what he's saying. He's saying, she really is my sister. She's my half-sister. But you know what this is? This is what you call a half-truth. And as I always like to say, a half-truth is a whole lie. He's saying, look, she's my stepsister, but she's also my wife. He didn't say, like the prince in Song of Solomon, my sister, my spouse. Hey, you guys... 
You got to remember that with your brides. She's your sister and your spouse because you're both God's kids. I love that. I always say that to Lynn. And she's like, she's like, you're so silly. On a side note, you guys, you want to woo your wives, just open up Song of Solomon and just read that stuff to your wife. You single folks, you stay away from that, okay? <laughs> you file that. When I'm married, I'll bust that one out. I always say, Lynn, your neck is like an ivory tower. She bats her eyes. <laughs> but the reality is, is that Abraham's just not being quite honest with him. He's like, she is my sister. But he was doing it to protect himself. He didn't trust God or Abimelech. So look at what happens. In verse 14, then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, see, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Now, look, don't you love this? Abraham's sinning. He's getting Abimelech in trouble, and he gets blessed. And this is textbook grace. This is what grace is. Grace is getting what you've never deserved in a million years. When it happened in Egypt, the same thing happened. This is just a picture of God's grace. God's grace is not justice getting what you deserve. It's not mercy not getting what you deserve. It's getting what you don't deserve. Abraham doesn't deserve sheep and cattle. This is riches in that culture, male and female servants. He deserves to get beaten up and stuff. But instead he gets blessed. And that's what the grace of God is all about. And no matter what's going on in your life today, I am quite sure that you have much reason to rejoice because of God's grace in your life. Because none of us deserve any of it. I mean, none of us do. We don't deserve the blessings of the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve to be ushered into this glorious thing called the church with all of its spot and wrinkle and dysfunctionality and God's Spirit working on all of us. We don't deserve these things, but yet we get them. And we get a glorious afterlife, a wondrous inheritance. We get to grow and be changed by His Spirit. It's textbook, textbook grace here. In verse 16, then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother. He's getting a little, you know, giving him a jab. I gave your brother. It's being a little sorry, you know, it's like kind of giving Abraham a little jab. I gave your brother. A thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everyone. Thus she was rebuked or a lot of your translations would say she was vindicated. So he's saying, look, you're off the hook too. I've taken care of this. In verse 17, so Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female servants. Then they bore children for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah Abraham's wife. Now notice this. We find out in the end that Sarah must have been in his house for a long time because God closed up. There was no conception. The implication from these verses is that it wasn't like she was in there for like two days, but she spent some time there that God brought barrenness. Now, as we move into chapter 21, look what it says. 
And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of the son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Now, when we get to chapter 21... Finally, we see the fulfillment of God's promise that he gave to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. God had promised that he would be his God, that he would give him land, and that he would make him a great nation. And although they came up with an Ishmael through the plotting of Sarah and Abram, now it's time, in the appointed time, and I have to say it, God has a timing God's word is true, and there is an appointed time for certain things. Isn't that the hardest thing for us? To not impose our timetable on what God is up to? We live in an instant culture, and we kind of want God to be a great cosmic vending machine where we put in our desires and we get out what we want. Like, I put in a $1.50 and I get a box of jujubes. And we struggle with that, right? How many of us have done exactly what Abraham and Sarah have done? Where when God's not moving in the timing that we think, we come up with a better plan to help to force God's hand. And we end up with an Ishmael. We all struggle with this, don't we? But over and over again, it says, God visited. It's at the perfect time. In verse 3, of course, we get his name will be called Isaac, which literally means laughter. Abraham circumcised Isaac on the eighth day, the sign of the covenant, which we've already seen. Isaac is the son of promise. Isaac is the promised son, the one who God had promised. And Isaac is, of course, a foreshadowing of Jesus, the promised one born under unique circumstances, born after a period of delay. Both mothers were assured by God's omnipotence. They were given names that are rich in meaning before they were born. The births occurred at the appointed time. Both births were miraculous. Sarah when she was 90 and Mary when she was a virgin. Both births were accompanied by great Joy. Jesus is real. You'd think that after what Abraham did in lying to Abimelech, that nothing good would have happened to him. Yet, as Pastor Daniel taught today, God blessed Abraham even more through the gifts that the king gave him. It's important to remember that by God's standard, we all deserve judgment and punishment. But he chose to give us redemption and salvation through his gift to us, his son, Jesus Christ. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. 
I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will complete his teaching called Isaac. You're going to hear about the miraculous birth of the child that God promised to these really senior citizens. You'll be reminded that God does indeed keep his promises and that you can rely on him to do what he said he would do. Pastor Daniel will teach about the importance of living life with God's timing, not your own. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Patriarchs. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.